Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Hello and welcome to the podcast. We're going to talk to Brittany Greenslade, one of our global news reporters, about retail thefts in Winnipeg. They are way up, by the way. Molly McCracken will be on the podcast from the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives here in Manitoba. We'll talk about the new minimum wage with her, and they've got a research project they want your help with. And we will also talk to political scientist Shannon Sampert about new polling as we get ready to vote across Canada. Please rate the podcast, please subscribe to the podcast, and now the podcast. Brittany Greenslade, one of our global news reporters, is going to be joining us here shortly, just as soon as we have made contact with her. We'll get her on to talk about the big story at CGOB.com. The quote, these are serious times. Winnipeg police numbers shoplifting up 77% in Winnipeg. And, you know, as we started hearing about these liquor store robberies and stuff, I mean, you knew the number would be up, but 77%. Uh, is incredible. All right, Brittany joins us now. Good afternoon, Brittany. Good afternoon, Hal. Thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. So were you shocked at that number? I certainly was. Yeah, the 77%. I mean, we've been talking ad nauseum about the liquor store thefts for months, but it is so rampant across every business in Manitoba and really across the country. We're talking drugstores, department stores, grocery stores, but that 77% in Winnipeg alone over last year, I think is shocking for anybody to hear. And one thing that I, I mentioned this morning when I was talking uh, with our, our friends on the start, um, I want to update some numbers because we said Canadian retailers across the country were losing uh, nearly $5 billion a year. We have new numbers. It's actually more than $7.8 billion a year wow. that is being lost across the country to shoplifters. That's crazy. And, you know, obviously we end up paying that, right? I mean, when there's a loss like that, other shoppers pay for it. And when you're talking about the liquor store robberies, we're kind of getting a double whammy because taxpayers are are covering the loss because we're taxpayers and it's a government liquor store. And uh, we're also uh, paying more for booze because of what's being stolen. You're really paying more for everything. We heard stories from the Retail Council of Canada about people walking out of grocery stores with shopping carts full of meat. And what we're seeing businesses now doing is investing hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars to be proactive instead of reactive. We've seen the security guards in the store. We've now seen barriers to entrance uh, at a lot of maybe Safeways or those grocery stores. We've seen some of those that stop, those grocery carts leaving uh, the store stop. It does still happen, but it's a cost that gets put on to everybody. Um, what thing that we heard from uh, Deborah, who's with the um, uh University of Manitoba, pardon me, um, was saying that it's not just the cost that you're paying in that, but it's all the behind the scenes cost. Mm. So companies are now having to go out and hire other businesses to come in and look at their floor plans, their layouts to make it more difficult for shoplifters to grab stuff and run. Mm. Um, it's seeing a change in display cases. So you might not see all of the product out on the floor now. You might see things put under uh, glass display cases. Well, the problem with something like that is, unless you have a employee there to unlock it when somebody wants to purchase that, 
they might actually be losing sales because you don't have enough staff on the floor sure. to help go and get that stuff. So it's you're, you you want to keep the items from being stolen, but you're also in turn stopping them from being sold in some cases. I was at a, a Safeway, the uh, Safeway on South Osborne, not long ago, and I picked up a few things on my way home from work. And uh, as I was going through the the till and, and paying, the guy said, oh, I went to go left out one exit. And he goes, oh, you got to go this way. And I went, what's that all about? And he goes, we close one of the mm-hmm. exits when we don't have enough staff on to keep an eye on people because it gives uh, thieves a better opportunity to get away with stuff. So there's huge cost to businesses. It's not just the items that are being stolen that they're losing out on, but they have to hire more staff because if they're putting stuff in the back rooms, people need to go and get that. They're investing in these display cases. They're investing in having companies come in to look at their floor plans. So all of that money needs to go somewhere, <laughs> needs to be found somewhere yeah. as well. Um, we're hearing from the Retail Council of Canada, and this is the first time we've heard this, is that big mega stores, mega companies are overlooking and skipping Winnipeg because it is just too expensive for them because of that loss. Wow. I so we to, are missing out on opportunities yeah, for our downtown. Right. People are saying, hey, we'll, we'll go to London or, uh, you know, a, a different uh, town be- that maybe doesn't have as big a problem as, as we have here. I, I get it. I understand. They're in, they're in the business to make money. And if they're going to lose money big time in a city like Winnipeg, I understand, you know, why they're, they're looking at, hey, maybe this isn't the best location uh, to be in. One more question for you, Brittany, in talking to everybody that you've talked to. I talked a bit about this yesterday with Dr. Cyrus Dirksen about the psychology behind this and the mob that, you know, went in and robbed the liquor store in in Tyndall Park. I wonder if there's not more at play here. I wonder if there's a societal change. You know, we know what's right and wrong, but Mm -hmm. I I wonder if there's more maybe going on under the surface. I I don't know if you want to weigh in on that or if you talk to anybody that might have said the same thing as that. It's been interesting because we are, what we've been told, the top five pockets of communities in the country right now for theft. Um, one of the things that, that we talked about is just how normalized the behavior has come, yeah. become. When you see somebody shoplifting, it was shocking before. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you didn't do it. Mom and dad and your parents, you know, growing up, you don't shoplift. It's wrong. You get told all these things. But on top of that, we also started looking at where these goods are being sold. Uh, online, uh, through social media, they are going out onto the street and being sold to organized crime gangs and, and all of that. Um, one of the things they were saying is it's also on us as consumers. So when you're online and you're shopping and you see something maybe on, you know, Facebook or social media or Kijiji or one of those sites and you see it and it's a really, really good deal. Well, that's on us to also not buy into that because it's cheap. Right. That's one of the things that we've been told throughout our, our, interviews here is it's also a consumer issue for us. We need to not just say it's a great product, it's cheap, and you know, ignore that little voice in our head saying it might be stolen. Excellent. Brittany, thanks a lot for this. I appreciate it. We'll be watching for your story tonight on Global News TV at 6 and 10 o'clock. Thanks. Thanks, Al. The minimum wage in the province of Manitoba is up today 30 cents to $11.65. And joining us now to talk about this and a new research project that they're doing over at the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives here in Manitoba is Molly McCracken. Molly, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Hal. Thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. So uh, we'll talk minimum wage uh, in a minute here, but tell me about the research project, uh, project that you guys are doing. Yeah. 
We're just uh, launching our call for participants today. So we're looking to talk to people who work for minimum wage here in Manitoba and Winnipeg, Brandon and Thompson in particular, to find out, um, you know, what it's like to make ends meet on the minimum wage. Are people uh, able to cover their bills? Um, and also learn a little bit more about their education level, if it matches with, with their job that they're doing currently, and what would they like in the future? Do they plan on going back to school? Would they like to improve their education? And uh, what kind of work, uh, are they happy with their work? Do they want to do different work? So just learning a little bit more about who actually works on minimum wage here in Manitoba. Well, and I was sharing at the start of the show some stats that my producer, uh, Cam Poitras, was able to uh, put together about minimum wage uh, earners across the country and here in Manitoba. What do you suspect you might find out from this research project? What are, you, what are your hunches? Do you have any? Well, we do know that there are some minimum wage workers who are teenagers, about 30%, according to Statistics Canada, about 20% or 20 to 24, and then, you know, just over half are adults above the age of 20. So, there is some myths about, you know, it's just pocket change for teenagers, but uh, there are adults who are living on minimum wage, and even teenagers need to save to go to post-secondary. Hopefully, they're going to keep, uh, you know, studying, and, and uh, that's the way you kind of can get ahead is to get an education and get a job. At least that's what, you know, young people are told. So, you know, what's it like to work on a minimum wage? I guess the other things that we know about people who earn a minimum wage based on, you know, statistics are more likely to be women. Uh, more likely to be immigrants and um, recent immigrant women, for example, and workers who might um, be more likely to be Indigenous or from a racialized group. And so, uh, you know, what we know that um, income inequality and people who are lower income have a harder, have worse health outcomes, have a harder time getting ahead. So those are kind of the people we're anticipating that we'll um, talk to. And we're going to try and talk to people from a diverse type of backgrounds, working in service and retail in factories and, um, you know, other places where, you know, minimum wage workers are working. And, and yeah, we're, we're, we're really interested in learning about the human experience uh, because uh, we often hear a lot about it, but um, it's hard for people to, our study is confidential and anonymous um, because, uh, you know, people obviously want to be able to share their opinions and confidence and not risk their job at all. And so that's what our study will do as well. Right. So anybody interested in taking part in the research project should get a hold of the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives here in Manitoba. And if you get a hold of me, I'll uh, make sure that uh, your information gets on to Molly or, or we'll figure it out. We'll get you in touch uh, over yeah. there. We have minwage at policyalternatives.ca is our email address to get connected. And, uh, yeah, we do offer an honorarium for people, a cash honorarium of $25. And, um, yeah, it's it's just starting up this month. So, yeah, we did a similar study back in 2001. And um, so we're, we're interested to see what's changed and uh, what hasn't changed since then. So I did the math um, live on the air here at the start of the show. 11.65, that's our new minimum wage. At that, a 40-hour work week per month, somebody is making, if they're uh, you know strictly on minimum wage, one minimum wage salary would be $1,864. Now, obviously, you pay a bit of tax in there and your rent and your food. And boy, I... I is it possible, Molly, do you think, to live on a minimum, one minimum wage? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, 
people uh, will have to see what people are doing in order to live on that as a full-time worker. I imagine people are often doubling up, living together with roommates. Right. Um, or, you know, it's also hard to find always a full-time job. Uh, you know, often jobs are part-time or shift work, or you don't always know when your shifts are secured. You might not yeah. know week to week how many or hours you're, you're working. Or you're working more than 40 hours a week, right, as you point out, at, at two or three yeah. jobs. Exactly, yeah, balancing several jobs. And, you know, rent is going up. It's very hard to get a place for, you know, less than at least $800 a month here. Um, So that, and then do you have to pay utilities and then food? We know fruits and vegetables are going up higher than the cost of inflation, and Mm -hmm. that's really important for people's health so that they can have a balanced diet. cost of the bus went up 25 cents a couple of years ago. So all of these things uh, can really make... uh, Things tight for people. It adds up. Even people out there that are making more than the minimum wage are nodding their head right now going, yeah, man, it's tough to make ends meet. It, it absolutely is. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, it's being raised to the cost of inflation, but it doesn't really help you get ahead since everything else is going up at the same time. Um, that, yeah, there is a 30 cent increase because of the cost inflation, the minimum wage in Manitoba is indexed to the cost of living, but um, everything else is going up at the same time, so it's really hard to get ahead. Yeah. Um, Anything else you wanted to mention before I let you go, Molly? Um, Yeah, we just hope that people um, feel comfortable to reach out to us to get uh, involved, or if you know someone who works for minimum wage, we really want to talk to a wide range of people and, and see what it's like so we can kind of um, you know, we're gonna, it's going to be anonymous and confidential, but right. uh, put a human face on, on mm-hmm. this experience for people. Yeah, uh, I'd be interested to see what you find with the project. I will ask you one other thing, you know, uh, it's now 1165. Uh, Wab Canoe in the election campaign pushed for a $15 minimum wage. A lot of people think that it should be at least $15. It's a balancing act, though, right? Because you don't want it too low. That hurts people, families, individuals. But if it gets too high the other way, then you've got businesses and retail and, and restaurants uh, complaining about what they're paying for staff. So it really ends up being a balancing act, Right. Yeah, and what the research has said is if it's raised in uh, incremental ways that is predictable for business, so, you know, um, other provinces have gone to the $15 minimum wage and the business sector has not suffered overall, what we know is um, at a macro level, more jobs are actually often created because People have more money to spend in the economy. They uh, have a little bit more money. They spend that locally because they're still not you know, making huge amount of money and that can stimulate jobs there. You know, if one business is looking at their bottom line, it it could look tight for them to increase um, their wages, but the economy uh, overall improves. And um, it's also, it can cost our health system. Like we have programs, you know, a lot of people working are using uh, Winnipeg Harvest still because they can't afford food or or rent assist is also available to low-wage workers. So it can actually help our government um, if the population is, is doing better. And workers um, stay at jobs where they're paid a little bit better, and so it can help businesses retain workers because they're not always constantly looking around. They can stay in one spot, and the training that a business does is an investment in that worker, and they're they're not having to uh, replenish their workforce as often. So there's a good body of literature about the benefits of a higher um, minimum wage for people, and this $15 movement is sweeping the country and North America. So, yeah, we want to find out, you know, 1165 now, what's that like for people? People, uh, would people themselves, what do they want to see for their wage? And and, um, and so, yeah, we'll share it back with you. It'll be done in the spring. Excellent. Looking forward to it. Molly, thank you very much. 
Thank you for the opportunity. Molly McCracken is with the Canadian Center for Policy Alternatives in Manitoba. And I think some of what uh, Molly said there about people making more money will be spending more money uh, in the local economy. I think there is some truth to that. Um, But as I've told you before, I have a real strong entrepreneurial spirit. And I also know how difficult it is to operate a business. And staffing is a huge expense on a business. $15, I'm not, I know there are a lot of business people. I'd love to hear from some business people right now. If it, Let's say it was 15 bucks an hour. What would that mean to your business? Would you hire more people or fewer people? What would it, how would it affect your business? Joining us now on the phone, and we'll bring her in in a moment here, political scientist Shannon Sampert. But before we bring Shannon on, I want to get her to comment on the latest polling from Ipsos. Here is uh, essentially what the polling says from Daryl Bricker at Ipsos. Take a listen. Well, what's really happening right now is you're seeing this become a two-party race, and the, the, the Green Party has slipped back a little bit to the advantage of both the Conservatives and the Liberals, but mostly the Liberals. And uh, the NDP does not seem to be getting any traction. So this has become a two-party race, and uh, it looks like it's fairly frozen in time right now. In British Columbia right now, pretty much tied. Ontario, it's pretty much tied. Uh, But in Western Canada, the the Conservative Party has a really big lead. Uh, British Columbia aside, if you look at the prairies, you can paint it almost all blue on election night. When we get to uh, the province of Quebec, that's where the Liberals are doing best, and they look like they're going to have a reasonably uh, good performance on election night, although we are now seeing the Bloc Québécois start to pick up steam. When we talk about the gender gap, we always assume that this is that somebody is doing really well among women and and another party is doing really well among men. That's not what we're seeing this time. What we're actually seeing is that the gender gap is actually hurting the Liberal Party, and that's with men because the Conservatives and Liberals are doing about as equally well with, uh, with women right now. When you take a look at who uh, among the, uh, uh, the demographic groups that the Conservatives score particularly well with, it tends to be with older Canadians. And the, the difficulty for the more progressive voters, the Green, the NDP, and the Liberals is older people are voting people. Uh, the other parties, progressive parties, tend to do better with younger people, and they seem less enthusiastic about this, uh, uh, this election campaign than they did back in 2015. What it shows us is it's a two-party race. Uh, it looks like the Liberals, in spite of what they went through with the, uh, um, the, the Prime Minister's costume changes and things over the space of the last while, it hasn't really hurt them that much in terms of uh, falling back from the Conservatives. But what it really shows right now is that the incumbent government is in a lot of trouble. Uh, and unless they can get some enthusiasm behind uh, their voters, and unless they can, uh, they can start to gain a bit more on the Conservatives and maybe move ahead of them, we may be looking at uh, very best for the Liberals on election night at a minority government, and quite possibly we could be looking at a Conservative uh, plurality of seats and the potential for them to form the government. Daryl Bricker at Ipsos with a look at the latest polling. Political scientist Shannon Sampert, as I said, joining us on the phone now. Good afternoon, Shannon. Hi there, Hal. Hi, thanks a lot for doing this. So uh, I was surprised, but not surprised, uh, at a small drop for the Liberals after brownface, blackface. I thought it should have been more, and I, I, but again, I wasn't really surprised. But I am surprised now to see the Liberals rebounding to basically, again, a dead heat. What do you think? 
Uh, well, I, I'm actually like you. I'm not that surprised. And I think what's happening or what we're seeing more than anything is this is becoming a vote against rather than a vote for election. And I think a lot of people are just so horrified by how negative this election is. All parties are acting and behaving very badly. And I think a lot of people are very turned off by it. Well, and there is lots of blame to go around here as well. Sheer has has said and done some things that have a lot of people scratching their heads. Um, It really, it's kind of sad, isn't it? It is. I think a lot of people are saying, okay, enough is enough on the character assassination, whether it's insurance gate or whether it's brown face gate, can we have a conversation about policy for heaven's sake? And, you know, I think the big turning point was this, uh, the turnout on the weekend where we saw, you know, thousands of people bar- uh, marching, uh, to discuss climate change, to discuss climate issues. And, uh, you know, that conversation about what are we going to do moving forward, uh, on this, on this, on this concern, what are we going to do moving moving forward on uh, concerns about the economy, uh, those kinds of issues that are coming up, and, you know, and this kinds of personality, uh, character assassinations that are going on, people are tired of it. Let's just move on. You know, we have a big debate coming up uh, on the, I think it's on the 7th, uh, and then on the 10th, there's a French language debate. Right. And this is, this is an opportunity, I think, for the parties, all four parties, to actually start making some good points and moving on to policy, which people are really hungry for. And uh, I, I think for the Conservatives, they need to actually release a campaign policy program before that debate with a costed, with cost the numbers to go along with it so that people can have an understanding of what's going on, get out of the trenches of this negativity, and let's get policy. I would be okay if you're right about that. I, I think we as voters should focus more on the policies, less on the personalities. So I guess maybe that's a silver lining if you're right, Shannon, but I'm just not so sure if you are, I, I, I don't know if we're there yet. I, I talk to a lot of people and, and I'll be honest with you. I don't hear a lot of talk about policy. I hear a lot of talk about all the other stuff. I know we hear a lot of it, and we hear a lot of it on Twitter because we're all so addicted right now to new social media. Where you know we're on Facebook, we like this kind of drama. But frankly, we need to demand more. We need to demand more of ourselves, and we need to demand more of our politicians. And we need to say, "Stop it!" I want to talk about what you're going to do for seniors. I want to see what you're going to do for my for, for university students. I want to see what you want to do for climate change. What you're going to do for the poor? And let's you know, like I think we just need to start demanding more from our politicians and from ourselves. Um, and one of the big things, too, that I, I think is going on with, these, with, the, with the numbers that are so close is we really have to be careful about how we read these numbers. You know, uh, there's a, like something like 94% support for conservatives right now in Alberta. Well, that really skews those numbers in the West to saying that there's strong conservative support in the West. But overall, is that you know, that skews the support then for conservatives. Does that mean a conservative majority? Not necessarily so. These pockets of support are skewing the numbers overall, and you have to be very, very careful how you read that. Yeah, you make, you make a great... Still, yeah, sorry, I was just going to say you make an absolutely fantastic point there. We won't know until election night how this is all going to shake out. Absolutely. And there are other others that are saying right now it is so close that uh, that we will not know until after after the election night. And we still have two more weeks to go. 
So, you know, let's let's just see how this is going to play out. Let's still let's see how the debate is going to go and let's see what people have to say. For a short campaign, this one felt like a long one, isn't it? Well, it is just I have never in my in my, you know, the number of years that I have been a political pundit and a political uh, geek like I am, I have never felt so devastated by the by the negativity. It is just hard to watch and listen to. So let's say this latest polling ends up being uh, the case, and and we may see a minority government one way or another. Is that a good thing for Canada, Shannon, or not? Well, I think it can be a good thing in that it really does require uh, the parties to cooperate and to be more conciliatory and to actually play nice with each other. Um, I don't like Elizabeth May making demands prior to uh, to the um, you know to a to a coalition government, as it were, saying I'm not going to do this and I'm not going to do that. Frankly, the NDP will hold more power uh, in the long run on, on, on making these kinds of demands, but. It does say yes we have uh we have to play nice with others we have to cooperate we have to be more open to what the policy is going to be and if it's going to be a conservative minority government it does hold that conservative power in check so there's not going to be kind of this wholesome uh whole scale kind of uh push for these sort of um, uh, climate change issues that a lot of people have a difficult time with. But at the same time, it also means that we do not have, you know, we could possibly be in uh, another election in two years. And you have to remember, we went through a period of time where we had a lot of elections in a very, very short period of time. Canadians don't like that either. Shannon, thanks for your help with this. I appreciate it. You bet. Have a great day. Shannon Sempert, political scientist, joining us here today. And uh, I think she's right. It, it really has uh, become a very negative campaign in many ways. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.